Welcome back to our wonderful listeners to our Retail Smarts podcast. Today, we are incredibly lucky to be speaking to um, the wonderful and just incredible Phil Lay from Retail Global. And also, you've got some new businesses going as well. So, we'll talk a little bit about that, Medcart. Um, It's very, very exciting for us to speak to Phil. At the National Retail Association, we have partnered with Retail Global now for many, many years. But I think what people don't understand is the reason that Phil's events are so amazing is because he's got such a great history and a really rich history in retail. So we're, you know, just incredibly happy to have you with us today. Um, and from your beautiful treehouse. <laughs> just uh, 10 minutes out of Port Douglas in the Malbury Valley. It's just beautiful up here. I'm in a treehouse on a 45 degree angle and yeah, life's good. Fantastic. And what's it like up there at the moment, just in terms of the regions? What are you seeing happening? Like, are there people there? Is it busy? Well, you know, normally this place would be very, very busy, meaning Port Douglas. Mm -hmm. Um, Typically, 70% of their visitors are from Victoria, and then obviously the rest from overseas and New South Wales. Uh, The shopkeepers are doing it real tough, you know, and they don't have any support from the government because they're open. Life is very normal up here. There's no face masks. But the, you know, the shops, the restaurants are really doing it tough. I can only imagine. So let's go back. Let's go back in time. How did you get started in this space called retail? Well, it goes, I got started in retail um, at the age of, of 19, I guess, when I was working in stores as second jobs, uh, worked for Saba, worked for Calibre in, in, uh, in Melbourne. And, uh, but basically, I went into started manufacturing clothes when I was twenty. I moved in and uh, with Colla Dinigan, the fashion designer, she was starting her business, and we lived together for about three years. But I did sort of cheap volume fashion. I had about three or four stores at, at the age of twenty, twenty-one, and uh, yeah, that was my start in the retail was in the fashion business. But uh, many, many moons ago, and many transitions since then. And then you had this, you know, kind of wonderful stint in radio as well, which we, you know, we've read about. Um, and then you got started in online. How did that? How did that happen? That was because my radio business was a narrowcast. We were, were going up against the big guys. We went for a couple of years under Rhythm FM and Kiss FM in Melbourne, and then we sort of we went bankrupt. And I uh, I got back to Melbourne, and I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I thought about working for another radio station, which would have been hard. And someone told me about eBay and said, well, you know, you've got some of your music collection, which you had from your Sony music days. You should uh, flip a few things online. And I flipped a signed copy of Silverchair for $100. um, And someone in America bought it from me. And uh, a week later, I got $100 US in the mail. And I thought, wow, there's something in this. And just started listing uh, movies and music and became the number one seller on that platform a few years later. What do you think has kept your passion going for this industry? Because obviously you've done the bricks and mortar thing, you've been in online, you know, now you've moved into kind of that education space in retail as well. Why are you so passionate about our industry? Well, I, look, I think it's, I've always loved it. I've loved the interaction with people at store level. And, you know, when uh, this revolution of e-commerce came around, the reason I got to to be the number one seller uh, on eBay was I actually travelled to America to meet other like-minded sellers because of very early days. And we would get together and have little mini conferences and share information. And I would go from here to here. When I come back, implement, you know, these ideas we shared. 
And that's what sort of drove the start of um, of Retail Global back 16 years ago. It was like Australia did not have anything like that. And mm-hmm. I wanted uh, I wanted to uh, get Australian sellers together to share their information and take their business to the next level and then look at export opportunities and those sort of things. So it get I, we get great joy from seeing those sort of those meetings happens at the event and then go off and hear the stories of success a year later. And what do you, I mean, what's the, what, what is your most memorable story from meeting someone kind of in their early stages and then, you know, having them come to a conference and then coming back three years later and them just exploding? Because I'm sure you would have some incredible stories. I mean, it'd be hard to pick one really. Yeah, there's a bunch. I mean, a good one, probably Paul Newinghouse, uh, who's from Queensland, he's in, in the fishing business and he, uh, he basically raves about the event and that, you know, he purchased his first, you know, $3 million factory and, and premises due to actually attending that, meeting other like-minded sellers and implementing what he learned at that, um, at that conference and then coming back each year and, and scaling up. So there's plenty of stories like that, but that's probably one of the memorable ones. I think the best thing about working with you is that you're an incredible connector. And I remember I started in this role maybe seven or so years ago. I was originally the head of legal and then I moved into the CEO role and I got this call from Phil who was like, why aren't you coming to this conference? We've been trying to contact the NRA for years. Why aren't you attending? And I remember attending and thinking, oh my God, this is, this is a next level kind of um, education process, particularly for retail, just because it was so professional. It was so... It was addictive in the sense that, you know, you wanted to be part of it, that there was obviously a real sense of community and, you know, you've grown a really big community. How do you, how have you done that? I mean, it's, it's not an easy thing to do, especially with so many global businesses in your network. Yeah, I guess. I mean, our competitors in the space in that conference exhibition space are all billion dollar players. They're big companies, you know, so we have to be nimble, fast, different to what the, to the way they act, you know, so... You know, our shows are about entertainment as well. We really want to make sure we get the best content. We really want to make sure we have retailers on stage who have actually done something amazing and have those people who share. Not all retailers want to share. Finding out those ones who do and then getting them in in the room together, and it just magic happens there, you know. It's about, you know, really, uh, it's attention to detail. There's a lot of moving parts. It, it, it's also the music in the background and the, in the uh, exhibition hall. It's the food, you know, going next level, giving hot lunches and going that extra mile, those extra drinks and all those extra things we do. Mm. And I think, you know, unlike, well, actually very much like most of our retailers, you also have a very social element to everything that you do. So you're always giving back to community, you know, whether it be, you know, ROI, you know, with orphans and things like that. Um, you tell us a little bit about, you know, all of the philanthropic work that you do as well. I think it gives us the greatest joy when we're delivering an event and we do, um, you know, a charity night and we can, you know, buzz the room up and raise a hell of a lot of money and then get that money to where it's needed And with, you know, we only support charities and and initiatives which have got a really good P&L. You know, they're they're not admin heavy. They're actually, the money goes and it does something great. So having that element in our shows brings everyone together. The feeling on those nights is just terrific. So it's it it also, you know, there's a lot of people who are very successful in retail um, and it, we want to remind people about civic duty and, and doing, doing things because that's where you get the best buzz, I reckon. 
I think you're being very humble about that because I mean, you, you guys are really responsible for building entire schools and, and housing and all sorts of things in various places like Haiti. How did you come across the cause? Yeah, so when I started my uh, conferences in Las Vegas in America, we uh, wanted to re- replicate the model we had in Australia and we wanted to look for a partner in America who would fit what we're doing. And um, I met someone at a conference um, in Chicago and they told me about retail ROI, well, the Retail Orphan Initiative, and that I should come to the big show in New York, which I hadn't been to, and I should come to a special day which is dedicated to to the charity. And I went along and I met the most amazing people. And a lot of these people were going on missions, you know, where they'd pay their own way to these missions. It could be Africa, it could be Haiti, it could be Honduras, anywhere in the world. And they'd get a group of retail leaders together, go off, do a week's work, and then come back and see how they could help further. So the Haiti thing happened, I think it was my second or third year, uh, at the the conference in New York, and they did a presentation on Haiti, and I started crying. I was like, I, I'm like, I said to myself, I'll never go to those hotspots. I'll raise money for you, I'll give you the money, you go and sort that, but I'm not going. And then I just knew that I had to go and had to get my hands dirty. So the real the real heroes are the ones who are actually in those countries doing the work on the ground, and they're in dangerous places too. Mm. Um, they're the heroes. We just raise money, at, you know, that, 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 hard, that w- work is not that hard. Well, thankfully you do it because, you know, it would be very hard for them to continue what they're doing without it, I think. So tell me about some of your new things that you're doing. So what is Medcart? So Medcart is a marketplace, you know, it's like eBay or Amazon, um, which – we launched pretty much last year, but we really didn't get an e-commerce ready till Christmas time. And the reason we launched that, because when we looked at the start of the pandemic, there was no marketplace, there was no central place for consumers or business to buy PPE products, um, anything in that medical side. So I got together with Marketplacer and said, look, th- this looks like an opportunity, mm-hmm. um, especially now during this crisis, let's launch this and see if we can help connect you know, Australian sellers with with consumers. And what happened with the pandemic and the large number of companies which had been around for a number of years, like Zenith Records, um, who made vinyl for the last 50 years and did very well at it. When uh, the pandemic hit, they decided that they wanted to invest a few million dollars in machinery so they could make uh, face masks, Australian-made face masks, et cetera. So these guys were really great at manufacturing, but they're not so great at getting to the customers online. And that's something we're good at um, and our partners are good at. So it's been a joy seeing how much Australian-made product we're, we're selling and, uh, you know, how it's actually servicing the marketplace. So I'm, I'm loving Medcar. It's great. It's such a great example, again, of you creating communities and just bringing people together, you know, you know like-minded cause to achieve something. Um, and tell me about Frontliners. Sure. So Frontliners, um, we launched at the start of the pandemic. My mother became quite ill and uh, I was in Frankston Hospital overnight with her in the emergency department. And I just couldn't believe these people. Um, they were like working 12-hour shifts. They would go and have a swig of Coke and uh, some chips and then they'd run to their next patient. An hour later, they'd go back and another swig, another you know lolly in their mouth. And I'm just like, these people are absolute heroes and 
we could see that you know COVID was going to be a big strain on on the system, and I thought I just want to do something to show them the Australian public cares. And through our you know partners in the industry, I'm sure we can come together. And so we came together and, and we we launched Frontliners, where we decided we wanted to send gift packs out, physical gift packs out to uh, hospitals around the country. And we got to 134,000 workers over the first part of that period and delivered about, you know, two and a half million dollars worth of product. The silly thing about doing that, I should have just gone straight to Good360 who already had the infrastructure in. Mm-hmm. I, you know, wouldn't have to set up warehousing and, and the physical distribution of products. Now, Frontliners 2.0 delivers virtual um, benefits. Uh, last week, we delivered a quarter million dollars worth of cash vouchers to New South Wales um, our New South Wales membership, I think about 8,000 members there. Um, they all got a $25 voucher for DoorDash and, um, and Piccolo Me. So we're going to continue that digital delivery of benefits. And then when things settle down, um, Frontliners stays alive by doing discount offers out weekly from different partners and things like that. So, yeah, social enterprise. And do you think that things will settle down? I mean, obviously, you're watching all the global markets, um, particularly the United States. You've had a really difficult time in the beginning. I mean, do you think things are going to settle down or do you think it's kind of just begun for us? Just begun. Um, over the next few months, it's going to be very, very tough for the system. And that's one of the reasons probably I'm sure that governments around the country are, you know, trying to stop that flow and they know that it's going to be you know, hard on the system. Uh, I think some of them have had a, a lot more time to get their act together because, uh, you know, they've dragged their feet and all of a sudden they're in panic mode. I don't get that, but I just don't get government. Mm. Oh, under- well, look, I mean, we're, very, we're all very frustrated at the moment. I think we're all, you know, very excited that New South Wales is opening, but of course it's incredibly complex, you know, between vaccine passports and all sorts of things. The other thing that's happening at this time, you know, outside of COVID is that we've got these huge problems with logistics. And I'm sure you're very close to some of this or at least are hearing lots of things on the ground, but we've got Australia Post taking four-day breaks because, you know, they are so overrun and online has really excelled in Australia. So we've gone from 9.5% to over 16.8% in a very short space of time. Australia Post are, are really struggling with that, especially with social distancing amongst other things. But now we've also got strike action happening with Toll, Star Trek, BevChain. I mean, what impact do you think that will have over the Christmas period? It'll be horrible. Strike action and late postage and all this sort of stuff creates a horrible situation for all retailers, especially online retailers, because all of a sudden their customer service teams are, you know, dealing with complaints and sometimes some angry ones from consumers who don't get the idea that, you know, you're not the transport system, you're only the retailer. So we're spending a lot more time as Medcart um, talking to customers and letting them know what's going on um, via email but also on the phones. And that really, you know, is taking you away from other work. And that's going to be the situation going right through to January, I, I see. I think, you know, that's very true. I mean, we talk a lot about customer abuse and customer violence in bricks and mortar, but we hadn't considered it, you know, certainly in an online setting. Are you seeing kind of an increase in that agitation from the consumer about really small things? Because we certainly are in bricks and mortar stores. Yeah, yeah, we're seeing that. And the only way to deal with it is to, you know, we try to get on the phone to these people, calm them down, talk them through it. Also, you know, we feel for Australia Post and these companies as well because they've got problems with with lockdowns, with staff getting sick, 
with all sorts of, you know, all these issues. And, uh, you know, so hating on them is not going to help, you know. So we just try to work with our customers and, and calm them down. And, and uh, but I, I can imagine that there's some horrible situations, especially in store. You have some really diverse teams that you look after, you know, between online and events and, you know, education and, and all of those kinds of things. You know, what are your top tips for managing the culture of your teams? Look, it goes back to I've read the, the book, Jim Collins, Good to Great. And in that very, very detailed book, there's one message which always rings clear to me. It's like, get the right people on the bus. Don't worry about where you're going to take the bus or where they're going to sit on the bus. Just get the best people on the bus. And that's pretty much been what I've been concentrating on, you know, especially over the last five or six years. And uh, giving people, finding out what they love doing, you know, you might employ someone for this job and you find out they're really good at this. So just shifting to what they're good at and making them happy in their own workspace and giving them plenty of room to move is what we like to do and make things fun as well. I mean, we want we want work to be fun too and we like to enjoy ourselves as well. So um, with our company, we, we try to get uh, the team away and have weekends away or, or weeks away and, you know, have some mix it in with fun and work. Mm, it's incredibly important, especially when you spend your whole life. I mean, you spend a lot of your life working. It shouldn't be your whole life, but a lot of your life working. So you really want to do work that you enjoy. You know, I think the best part about the diversity of all the things that you're doing, particularly for your employees, is that you provide those different levels of fulfillment, whether it's profit for purpose or whether it's simply having new experiences that maybe they've never considered that they would have, um, but by simply just being part of your business, the exposure to new and exciting things is is incredible. And, uh, you know, from someone that's in your network, you typically do that for everybody. Um, whether they work for you or whether they work with you. You know, we had some great um, experiences certainly in New York when we were able to go to Big Show. It feels like 100 years ago. Um, <laughs> and, and going to see, you know, data companies produce incredible insights and, you know, participate in, you know, on their online events, you know, that you just never would see, you know, we would never have experienced unless we had um, been working alongside you. So, you know, I think that you're an incredible connector and certainly educator for everybody, you know, no matter what part of retail you're from. Thank you. That Uh, that, uh, Sparks and Honey tour we went on last year was awesome, wasn't it? Yeah. Are they still, they're still there and still going and still going. Amazing yeah. talent. I can't wait to actually get back to to see them again this year. Oh, sorry, in January. It'd be great. Yeah. I mean, I they run a subscription model amongst other things, um, which is, yeah, incredible because they, they're watching so many data streams, particularly, you know, in the press and everywhere. And so in terms of that kind of content for that modern day, you know, it just evolves so quickly. They're really on top of it, which is, yeah, amazing. So what what do your events look like this year in New York? Yeah, we've got the Vendors in Partnership Awards, which kicks off Retail Week um, as part of the big show. And that's Saturday the 15th of January. And that's at Gotham Hall. And you were there last year, Dominic, and saw how beautiful that venue is in Times Square. It's just beyond. I'm very excited about that. We expect about 500 people to that night, and then we'll have an after party, uh, which kicks off Retail Week for the rest of the week. But uh, it's going to be great. Can't wait to get back to the physical show. And what do you think Big Show will look like this year? You know, are people returning? I mean, they normally get 40,000 people. Retail Week's massive. 
in New York. Um, obviously, the international, well, certainly from Australia, we won't, well, we might be there now with our uh, borders opening. But what do you think it'll look like? I think it'll look very different. Um, and it will probably for the first couple of years. I mean, there'll be attendance will be down because there's a lot of internationals go to that show. And then there's some um, bigger companies who've still got travel bans. So I can imagine it's probably going to be maybe, you know, 20 to 25,000 people. Um, they're marching full steam ahead. They are not pulling that show um, and they have to lead it. It's the oldest trade show on the planet, you know. Really? It's, yeah, it's well over 200 years old. You know, you can really draw a line between that and founding fathers sort of thing. So they want to take that lead and get the show off the ground. But I think what's going to happen is there's going to be a lot of late bookings too. You know, I'm seeing that with Australia. We did a post on LinkedIn a few weeks ago. People were sitting on the fence. Now they're starting to say they're coming along, which is great. So I think people are itching to go, right? And, right there. You know, and I think where there are leaders going like yourself and, you know, and you have been a leader in this space, like where everybody's been terrified, you've been running conferences in New Zealand, you've been doing them in all different states. It didn't matter whether lockdowns were going on or not, you were still running. So I, I feel like, you know, people will absolutely follow you there. Um, it has been wonderful to talk to you and just hear more about all the diverse things that you're doing. Um, and we can't wait to continue working with you in the future. And of course, attending Retail Fest on the Gold Coast in April. Yeah, April um, 11 to 14. Yeah, yeah, that it'll be very exciting. But everybody, I mean, our listeners should absolutely attend because it is uh, by far, you know, the best retail conference that I attend and I attend a lot of them. So um, thank you for talking to us today. Thanks, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Want to know more about the Australian retail industry? Visit nra.net.au for more insights just like these.